Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Layla Tassi woke up today to a land of rainbows and unicorns. Her <laughs> children are vaccinated. You could just feel the anxiety lift from her shoulders. Congratulations, Layla. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with Layla, along with Laura Johnston and Lisa Garvin. Layla, I'm not overemphasizing how big a day yesterday was, am I? No, not at all. I mean, of course, I still have a little baby who's not vaccinated, but this will go so far toward protecting her. We are so excited. My kids are excited. They, I mean, they did paper, rock, scissors to decide which one was going to get to go first. <laughs> they, were so, they were so pumped, and it's just so great to hear the kids. And, you know, actually, there was another little kid who sh- from my daughter's class who showed up at Walgreens to get the shot at the same time, so they got to experience this together. I mean, it's so unifying and beautiful, so I'm, uh, I'm thrilled. <laughs> It'll be interesting to talk to them 30 years from now and see how much of it they remember. My bet is it'll be etched into their memory. I believe so, And when so they're too. as old as I am, they might not be able to remember what they went into the kitchen for, but they'll remember this like it <laughs> happened two hours ago. My, my kids, this is Laura Johnston, my kids are tonight, so I will be joining you in the yes. happy dance tomorrow. Good for them. Okay, rainbows and unicorns ahead, Laura. <laughs> Let's begin. The last time we talked about fireworks on this podcast, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine was vetoing a bill to legalize them on specific holidays. Lisa, how did the fireworks just become legal in Ohio? This is a big deal for people that want to have big explosions and a bad deal for people that have dogs that don't like loud noises. This actually fixes a long-time quirk in Ohio law that allowed you to buy fireworks in Ohio, but you had to transport them out of the state within 48 hours to shoot them off. So House Bill 172 removes the law that made consumer-grade fireworks purchases legal, but then had to leave the state. This does go into effect uh, the July 4th weekend of next year, and this allows the fireworks to be legal for use, for July 4th, Chinese New Year, Diwali, Memorial Day, all the big ones, Labor Day, New Year's Eve, and they've even added Juneteenth and Cinco de Mayo to that. But local governments can impose their own bans and set use parameters within their city city limits. But they've added a few things. You cannot, it's illegal to drink or use controlled substances and use fireworks, which is only common sense, but is rarely followed. Uh, there is a 4% fee on fireworks sales, and then those proceeds will go for training firefighters and enforcing fireworks laws. Dealers must supply safety glasses to all of their customers who buy fireworks. And this does allow a retailer space square footage to be as much as 7,500 square feet, but they must have a sprinkler system. And that was really kind of the reason that Governor DeWine vetoed House Bill or Senate Bill 113 last year. He knew it would be overridden, but um, he was worried about a a part of that old bill that said, well, you know, you can have spaces up to 10,000 square feet to sell fireworks, but no sprinkler system. So, yeah, and I love the headline this morning. Kaboom! 
question or exclamation point. It was kind of cute. But yeah, already my uh, Lindhurst Facebook page is lighting up over that. So. Right. I know it was almost instant in Cleveland Heights. Somebody said, let's get a petition going to outlaw it in Cleveland Heights. And I think you're going to see that in a lot of suburbs, which creates a whole new version of liar's law, right? People will buy them. They'll think the state law applies to them. It'll be interesting to see how that debate goes. I mean, instantly it was people with dogs that that don't do well. There are a lot of dogs that don't do well with explosions and pops and people buy them those jackets that keep them tight to make them feel better. So it'll be interesting. We'll have a patchwork of laws. What what really fascinates me about this is that when it came to the gun laws, the legislature prohibited cities from saying what the gun rules would be because they said, if I'm driving across borders with a gun in my car, how do I know what the different laws are? Well, kind of similar thing with fireworks, but I guess that's the way it'll go. We'll have to see how many suburbs end up adopting it but it's a big day i mean people are shooting them off anyway right Right. so basically all we're doing is taking the prohibition approach people were drinking we may as well stop prohibiting it make it legal people are shooting off fireworks for the week before july 4th we may as well make it legal do you think this will increase the use of fireworks because they added a whole bunch of holidays for which we don't usually hear fireworks (laughs) so will this induce people to shoot them off I don't know. In my neighborhood, there's somebody who shoots off. I don't think they're consumer grade fireworks at all because they look kind of semi-professional. I think people are going to do what they're going to do with fireworks. I mean, we saw that. I mean, it's illegal to shoot them off in Ohio, but people are still doing it. So I don't know. And it'll be interesting to see how many police departments drive around on these holidays looking for, you know, for potential violations or whatever. And I guess that means you can't shoot them off at any other time. So, you know, you're really restricted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's a bunch of holidays. And for some of them, it's a it's multiple days. Layla, Laura, what do you think will happen in Bay Village and Rocky River? I, I don't know that there'll be more fireworks than there already were, but I have no desire. Like, I, I cannot fathom why anybody wants to set them off themselves and risk blowing off a finger. Like, it's just nothing I ever want to do to myself. I'll tell you what. All the people on Lake Road in their fancy houses love to put on these enormous displays. And <laughs> I, I I could see them, you know, wanting that tradition to continue. They love to be the talk of the town. <laughs> You don't think your your town councils will outlaw them? In I don't borders? know. I don't know. Probably not for that reason. There, <laughs> every year you never it never fails. There's these enormous, nearly professional displays that go off mm-hmm. on those huge estates uh, on Lake Road. So those people I, are. Yeah, I haven't heard people. I haven't heard people talking about it saying they don't want it here. I mean, it could crop up, but I haven't heard it yet. All right, we'll have to see. You're listening to today in Ohio. How will this year's culture wars over the fictional critical race theory issue likely impact elections next year and beyond? Layla, we took a deep look at this. This this galvanized, uh, it was a movement that galvanized around this phony issue of stopping the teaching of critical race theory in local schools when it's not taught there. But it worked. It energized a whole lot of people, even if not many of the candidates got elected. 
So we took a look at it. What did we find? Ugh, heaven help us. Some of us can breathe a sigh of relief that our school boards were spared the brunt of this awful movement. But political observers are saying we haven't heard the last of this contingent. And in fact, that we should expect to see these divisive issues enter into races for st- the state school board, the legislature, the governor's office and the U.S. Senate. What they're vying for are the votes of white suburban women who had backed Republicans until former President Donald Trump became the party's nominee and then they started supporting Democrats. Apparently, these folks have decided that the easiest way to manipulate suburban white voters is to make them believe their children's education and well-being are being threatened by ideas like equity and inclusion (laughs) because showing people how other more complicated wedge issues affect their lives like the corrupt house bill six for example is too complicated so they reach for this low-hanging fruit hitting on those raw nerves that were exposed and the the white fragility that emerged after george floyd's death brought about uh, a national reckoning about race And, you know, we see it happening with Governor Mike DeWine, who's made some abhorrent decisions related to the state school board and forcing two members to resign for supporting an anti-racism resolution. So this really is the culture wars at its worst. And its its influence in American politics is is going to get worse before it subsides. Really great story by Laura Hancock on Cleveland.com. Are suburban white women that dumb? (laughs) No, this this this. Come on. Think about it. This is completely contrived. This is an abortion. This isn't a, a, a serious issue that divides people based on heartfelt beliefs. This was a plot. People got in a room. They came up with this before, what, last March? Nobody had ever heard of critical race theory. This was injected. Fox News mentioned it thousands of times, and it worked. It got everybody worked up on something that was pure fiction. So I so I ask again, are people that stupid? No, they cannot no, they're look not. at something like this and say, I'm not going to be buoyed by nonsense. They are not. That's they are not stupid. And I think that everyone who is, you know, the, the politicos who are who are banking on white suburban women being stupid enough to take this bait should take a look at how these school board races shook out. You know, I, I live in Bay Village where we had a slate of candidates running on that anti-CRT agenda. A lot of us were terrified about how this would go. Luckily, none of them prevailed. But a friend pointed out something that I had not realized. The school board we ended up with turned out to be more liberal than perhaps ever before. <laughs> Bay Village School Board has probably always been a pretty conservative conservative group, but the threat of handing control of the body over to candidates who are anti-CRT, anti-comprehensive sex education, and anti-social emotional learning was so terrifying, it prompted people to run who might not have been called to service before. So just, you know, there was that one GOP strategist who told Laura Hancock in her story, in politics, as in physics, for every action, there's an mm-hmm. equal and opposite reaction. Well, you got it, bro. We saw that play out in Bay Village for sure. <laughs> that is the opposite reaction was that people came out to run against that and they prevailed. And I think they, that everyone who's looking at you know, trying to inject these issues into, you know, the Senate race or, you know, state school board should take a note of how this played out on the local level. Well, let me ask you this then. I mean, there's been a lot of debate over the past God, 10 years about what is the soul of the Democratic Party. It has a big split between the people who are far left and the people who are more centrist. Was this an awakening of of people that are in the Democratic Party to say, whoa, 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 we, we can't allow nonsense like this to 
to destroy the education of our children. We can't have fringe loons taking over school boards and, and destroying what, what are pretty solid educational systems. I mean, might this actually, like you said, have the, the opposite effect of what was intended and make next year's elections more interesting because the, the left side is finally rediscovering their soul? It, it might that might happen. But I also think what Layla was talking about was people who never felt super political or partisan before. So it might not be the left side and, and hyper partisan Democrats. It could be people who never felt especially political feeling this call to get involved. And I would agree with you. I think that was very well said, Layla, that we had people running for our school board who won, who never were involved before. And they are white suburban women with kids in the school district who are very busy leading Girl Scout troops and raising their kids and having jobs, but they felt like this, they couldn't, they couldn't just let it, let it slide and, and watch. So I agree, it's going to galvanize some people. I thought there was another really interesting point in this story about how the incivility has trickled of all of these politicians and people fighting has trickled into the students. And one person posited that that's why we're seeing so much violence in schools is because these kids have been pawns in these hyper partisan attacks and that's really scary and sad you know it would be nice is if if the people that were more in the center of each party got together and formed a third party i hear from republicans all over cuyahoga county that really despise josh mandel they don't want him as a republican nominee for anything they think he's fringe as can be and doesn't represent true republican ideals you hear from democrats you you saw it in the congressional election that don't really want the far left progressive stuff. They want to be somewhere in the center. Those two groups are much closer together than the divides in each individual party have people. And it would be interesting if they just said, hey, look, we kind of agree. Let's get together, dump the fringe people and take over government. A common sense party. I yeah. like it. Yeah, we kind of need it. I don't it. know. I, my feeling is that there probably is still a wide chasm between even the centrists in, in both parties. Well, and I think there are a lot of one issue voters. You know, I, if, if people are vehemently for abortion or against abortion, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you can bridge all of those. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. listening to Today in Ohio. How does Ohio Governor Mike DeWine say the Innovation District in Cleveland is making progress to the goals set for all the partners? Laura, this seemed like a complete waste of time to me. There was no news in this meeting except that Mike DeWine made his first appearance after having to hide out in his house because he was exposed to the coronavirus. I I walked away from this story kind of confused about what is going on here and what how will we measure the success of this district? What are we spending all this money on? Yeah, it's not just you. In my notes, I wrote, this seems more stunt than substance. But yeah, Mike DeWine came to the Cleveland Clinic basically to laud this innovation district, which is one of three statewide. It's happening in Columbus and Cincinnati as well, and say that this is working. We're creating jobs. We're spurring economic growth. But it just, and he named some things, you know, new buildings going up, new students, uh, college graduates, jobs. But I wonder if all of those were happening separately in their own silos and we just decided to give it a name of the innovation district because that sounded cool. And I mean, ever, I'm all for people working together. We're talking about Case Western Reserve University, Cleveland State, and then the three big hospitals, UH, Metro Health, and the Cleveland Clinic. And the goal is to bring 20,000 jobs to Ohio within the next decade by encouraging startups in the medical field and getting companies to invest. But I have not seen actual programs. I haven't seen 
anything concrete that's come out of this yet. So, but the state did put aside whatever it was, $256 million for it. What does that pay for? I, I mean, that's the part I walked away from. I mean, Eric covered this, and he, he poses these questions. It's a, it's a very good story out of what happened, raising the idea that there's not a lot of there there. But what are they spending all this money on? It's a lot of money. I, I, I don't really know. Yeah, $155 million from the State Development Services Agency, which I do not know what department that is in or where that falls, or and $110 million from Jobs Ohio. And maybe they're, I mean, they're probably spending that money on, you know, marketing to, to get people to know about these and maybe to build stuff. But yeah, you're right. It's not really nailed down or explained very well. There's supposed to be a focus on researching infectious diseases like covid as the wave of the future. I don't I don't see this specifics yet, but hey, Frank Jackson, Justin Bibb, and Blaine Griffin were all there. So maybe maybe they'll they'll explain it to us. We need to dig into this. We need to audit what the spending has been thus far and was there a budget when they created this thing? All all DeWine did by coming here was create a million questions in my mind for what in the heck they are doing. Uh, it was it was pretty much a waste of time, except to heighten our alert. Like, what's going on with this? So we'll find out. It's today in Ohio. One of the initiatives that Frank Jackson launched as mayor was sustainability to make Cleveland a model for environmental preservation. Lisa, has his, have his efforts paid off at all? We now have a measure of their success. They certainly have in, in many measures, actually. Um, LEAD is, stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design, and a lot of companies really covet getting an award from this, this group. Um, Cleveland was one of six cities that got a silver medal. They got 57 points out of 110, which is pretty good. And we had a lot of good news to talk about. Water, effic water efficiency in this area got nine of 11 possible points because of our lower water usage rates and conservation efforts. Resiliency, this means identifying vulnerabilities and responses to like severe weather, hazardous materials events, and IT d disruptions. And this one's really good. And I, coming from Houston with no parkland, this is a good one for me. Natural systems and ecology, we, we got six of nine points. Basically, 83% of residents in this area live within a 10-minute walk of a park. Um, we also got good uh, land use and transportation scores. We have a low average vehicle miles traveled. And they think part of that is because so many people do live in a walkable community. Where we do need improvement, we don't have enough renewable energy sources and we know that the state legislature is fighting hard to keep wind farms and solar farms out of out of our energy stream and also our greenhouse gas emissions are too high we only got eight of 30 points in that area but our overall emissions are down nine percent since 2010 so yeah this is a pretty big deal and i think we can pat ourselves on the back for this there is room for improvement of course but this is a great place to start well, you covered City Hall for a good part of this. Frank Jackson launched a number of initiatives in the area of environmentalism, which you don't really think of when you think of Frank no. Jackson. Some <laughs> were failures, a, right? Right. There was the trash to energy that was a big oh, pipe dream. Oh, I forgot about that. There was the, the <laughs> what was it, sun poo light thing. But, oh. but he did replace all the lights in Cleveland with the energy efficient versions. And he has invested it, the idea of measuring sustainability. 
There, you, there was also an effort to effort to restore the canopy, the tree canopy that's that was uh, you know dwindling over decades and decades. That too, um, yeah. Yeah, right. Given given this report, <laughs> do you feel like that's a fair grade for he he tried things that failed. He tried some things that succeeded. Do you think that the grade Lisa's talking about makes sense? I think it does. Do you? I mean, I mean, yeah, there were a lot of things that failed. I think Frank Jackson can be credited though with 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 uh with trying things that were innovative and um yeah, I mean, I think I think the I think that's fair. What what's what's your take on it? I, yeah, I wish we'd had more success with recycling. And, I, you know, I love the idea behind the trash to energy, but it was a pipe dream. It wasn't going to It was a terrible work. idea. <laughs> yeah, in the end, it was a terrible idea. I mean, the, the exploring, look, we're, we're big on experimenting in our shop. We try a lot of things that end up failing, and we say, okay, that was a bad idea. You can't move forward unless you fail once in a while. So I'm not going to going to criticize him for attempting something and failing you could look at the the um, activation of it maybe as a failure because he probably stayed with it too long i just when you think of the legacy of frank jackson you're not really thinking about no you don't that. I, see this is laura johnston i i would say that i do think of that because he had a director of sustainability for I think more than a decade. And that was happening before other cities were doing it. I always thought it was ironic that we had a recycling problem when he tried so hard to have these sustainability summits. But I, I would say that that is one of the lasting impressions I have of him. Good. Well, it's nice to see we got some recognition before he heads off into retirement. You are listening to Today in Ohio. Armin Budish cut his budget hugely by erasing positions that were vacant, something that has department heads an alarm and the county prosecutors saying no way with the four million that got cut. So they've all gone to the county council and said this isn't okay. Is Armin Budish listening, Layla? No, <laughs> he's not at all. During Cuyahoga County's biennial budget hearings over the last few weeks, several of the department heads have asked for increases to cover additional expenses or restore funding for hiring. But Budish is really just blowing them off. He's remaining committed to this backward approach to budgeting, just designing the budget to match the number of employees that each department has with all of the positions that have remained vacant during the pandemic, rather than how many the county could afford if they were fully staffed up. Cuyahoga County Prosecutor Michael Malley objected to this. He asked for an additional $4 million to match current funding. He, he wants to continue supporting more than $800,000 in programs already approved, uh, hired to fill 19 vacancies and, and create parity in salaries to help with recruitment and retention. County Council questioned why the administration would continue to underfund departments like the Agency of the Inspector General or the Planning Commission. In the Planning Commission, their director said that they've already reached staffing levels higher than the budgeted amount, and they would be forced to let people go if their budgets weren't increased. The Office of the Clerk of Courts also said that they've made offers to fill nine of its 18 vacancies. So this budget is putting them in a bind. But Budish's director of budget and management on Monday recommended to county council only 11 technical adjustments and four budget amendments that wouldn't affect the bottom line at all and wouldn't address any of the concerns raised by these department heads. 
This is another example of the many examples where Armin Budish just doesn't follow the rules. I mean, we saw him rewriting the employee handbook and imposing his will based on faulty of advice of a, of a law director he had hired who turned out to be completely wrong. They got in trouble with everybody and they had a backtrack. We had pointed it out. He does this routinely. He just decides the rules don't apply. And for, for people who aren't familiar with municipal budgeting, you, you have to budget every open position. If you don't fill them fine, you have some leftover money at the end of the year, but the budget is the controlling document. And the way government works is the, the legislative body sets a budget, the administration carries that budget out. And, and so if the, if the county council were to vote for a budget that limited the number of positions, he really can't just add positions unilaterally. That's not how it works. He's breaking the rules. And it's shocking. Mike O'Malley has a really strong point, by the way. He let positions go vacant during the pandemic because they weren't having trials. Now they're having trials. He's right. got to ramp back up. And Budish is saying, well, you can't have your staff back. He's not going to stand for it. He's an independently elected guy. He has ways to go around this if he needs to. But it's stunning that yet again, Armin Budish, who never has followed the rules, is not following them yet again. It's true. And, you know, the budget director said, and I just laughed out loud when I read this, that attrition will create capacity for hiring in those departments. He said last but, year the county lost 100 employees, so there'll be plenty of room in the budget eventually to, to staff up. That's absurd. But that's not how it works. No. I mean, the budget is a very critical document. It's critical for when you're being audited. You can't phony it up this way and play games with the numbers. It's. I think this is a defense against Lee Weingart. Lee Weingart's a Republican that's running for county executive next year, and he has made the budget the the basis of a lot of his criticisms and i think that budish is probably trying to phony it up to look like the budget is more balanced than it is one of the lines in the story that really threw me they haven't included the money the gigantic sum of money that they're planning to give to progressive field for renovations That's right so somebody in the story said the minute they pass that which might be today the the budget already is busted. That's right. It? It's like more than a hundred million dollars. Right, <laughs> right, right. What is he thinking? And he they also haven't included any of the expenses that would be associated with Budish's uh, proposal to uh, improve the housing voucher program for people for low income residents throughout the county, and that that is untold sums of money. Uh, who knows? Who knows? So those those two things alone would would destroy this this budget. But as far as Lee Weingart goes, don't you think this is fodder for him? Because this this irresponsible approach to budgeting seems like something that Lee Weingart would seize upon immediately. Oh. Yeah, he will. I mean, it, it, he will. Look, Budish is blunt. He's out knocking on doors, asking for support to run again. He's trying to say that he's actually been a good run and it's just Cleveland.com that is out to get him. You know, and if anybody has been paying attention, we're reporting the news. It's not, there's nothing personal here. That's he's right. incompetent. And it's like a gigantic litany of dropped balls and fumbled decisions. This is the latest one. This is just more evidence of the incompetence of this administration. You are listening to Today in Ohio. Why are the lines getting longer this month at Cleveland Hopkins International Airport? Laura, it's time to ask this question because we're coming into the big time travel season. We are, and people are going to be traveling for Thanksgiving much more than they were last year. But what's making this happen at Hopkins is just 
more people are flying. And what's making it worse is that TSA is really just operating two of the three checkpoints at Hopkins. And think about it, one is a pre-check where you have the TSA clearance. So you're just walking through with your shoes on and only a small number of passengers can use that. So we're talking about the South checkpoint and we've got just a line sneaking all the way through the ticketing area because of that. This is, And this is partly nobody can find workers these days and that includes the TSA? Yes. And an employee said it's partly because of the vaccine mandate, but the TSA, TSA is saying that's not the issue, that mandate is not affecting staffing in Cleveland. But you, you figure it can't be helping it. But um, air traffic in Cleveland it keeps increasing. It was about 646,900 in September, and that's just down 20% for two years ago. So people are traveling. Yeah, and it's the big travel season coming up in a couple of weeks. You're listening to Today in Ohio. As more people get electric vehicles, where is the Northeast Ohio Area-Wide Coordinating Agency, NOACA, proposing to put electric vehicle chargers to make life easier for those who are eschewing fossil fuels? Lisa, it's a small story, but actually, if you have an electric vehicle, this matters to you because when the battery runs dead, you're in trouble. That's right. And you really want to know where your next charging station is going to be. Now, NOACA has some ideas. Uh, they want to install 48 stations overall, but they're really looking for public input here. They've basically said that they, they're looking at possible sites at public libraries, RTA park and ride lots, and even specific places like Edgewater Park, the West Side Market, and, and area city halls. And by the way, you can... Um, Get in touch with them until December 7th. If you have ideas on where you want an EV charging station, you have until December 7th. You can contact NOACA by phone, email, or snail mail, and you can find the map of their proposed stations and their contact information in the plain dealer in Cleveland.com and the story we did on this. But, you know, they want to weigh in. I have a friend who drives from New York to Cleveland. She's an immigration lawyer, and she has to know where these are along the way. I would question maybe some of these possible sites in It'll be interesting to see what um, what certain what people say when they give their input on where where a charging station should be. I mean, I think city halls make sense, but I think also employment centers and and certain you know uh, freeway areas could probably use them as well. So let me ask you, your friend who drives here from New York, th this isn't like getting gas when you pull up to get charged. It takes a while. So it does. what do you, what do they do? What, do they just sit in their car and get on their phone and mess around for a few hours? How do you spend the time when you're waiting for your battery to charge up? And, and she, yeah, she's on her laptop, you know, doing work while she's sitting there. But I mean, one of her charging stations is at a McDonald's. I mean, you really, when you're planning a trip of longer than your battery goes, you know, you really have to be planning. And so we, we really need this infrastructure. We're trying to move away from fossil fuels. We really need to start building this infrastructure. So I think NOACA is forward looking on this but yeah it'll be interesting to see where people think they should go yeah libraries make sense i guess because you could go into the library and at least be in a comfortable setting while you wait and wait and wait i don't know i'm way too impatient i don't i don't think this is right for me just yet i need to to get it and go you're listening to today in ohio okay good good discussion thank you very much thank you laura thank you layla thank you lisa thanks to everybody who listens we'll be back on wednesday for another discussion